This is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults. There's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Today, Nicole and I are interviewing Alyssa Nassner, a fellow graduate from the Maryland Institute College of Art and one of my favorite friends. Alyssa is a freelance illustrator as well as a creative director over at Abrams Books. Alyssa Nassner, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And I mean, I am bringing you on because you're one of my closest friends and people that has really impacted my creative path. So yeah, tell us a little about yourself. Sure, I'll give you I'll give you the um, website biography. So, (laughs) So I am an illustrator and an art director originally from Baltimore, Maryland, now living in New York, Brooklyn specifically, but working in New York. Um, I art direct and design for children's books, um, specifically early reader, like early developmental books, like uh, board books for kids and um, like picture books for the zero to five age range. And then I also art direct covers for YA novels. And then in addition to that, by night, I'm an illustrator, for free, like a freelance illustrator, and I work with clients like uh, American Greetings, Papyrus, Gallison, to name a few, mostly for the gift and stationery market. So a lot of, uh, they make a lot of mom art um, in my spare time and a lot of kid art for my day job. So your work just runs the gamut. Age ranges. So just for context too, can um, either Amanda or Alyssa, you guys tell us um, the history of your relationship? When did you guys meet or how long have you known each other? I'll let Amanda take this one. Well, I was dating this guy that I think I met on MySpace for (laughs) about two years. And I came up, he was in Baltimore, I was still living in South Florida, because I was all about that long distance relationship where I could just kind of phase out whenever I wanted to. (laughs) But uh, Alyssa was in his group of friends at the time, and I think I actually met her at the mall in Towson, and possibly, I want to say it was in the Apple Store. I was just say, was I working at a Hot Topic? Because that seems equally as likely. <laughs> I don't think you were working. You were... No, I actually think I remember. Within... Yeah, because I was there with my mom, because she also came up to, like, visit Micah with me. And so, I don't know. I wasn't sure if we were going to be friends, but then when I came up to visit the ex-boyfriend I had like already booked the tickets and booked the whole trip before we had broken up but then we broke up before the date of the trip arrived and Alyssa offered her place to stay and we ended up having a really fun and interesting it wasn't yeah to say the least we didn't we went to the (laughs) well we met before that too um did we both go down the ocean at the same time you with Matt and I with Tom uh, one of Matt's friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like you weren't a stranger to me. And I think we had like a budding AIM relationship. Yeah, 
Because I think I initially started talking to you just to kind of get to know the scoop about getting into Micah and whatnot because you were already attending the school. It, qu- it quickly turned into trash talking, and that is really the, <laughs> the foundation of our friendship. <laughs> That's true. We love we love talking shit about ex-boyfriends, most specifically. It's our our true, the, the glue that bonds us together. Yeah, yeah. That and, you know, just like getting along with each other well. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think things. we've progressed beyond that at this point, but it will always hold like a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, we still will, de- you know, dedicate like a couple minutes when we see each other to be like, oh, did you notice this, this, and this? And like, oh, I didn't know about that. And then we actually talk about our own lives yeah you gotta love some good gossip so circling back to hot topic Alyssa, was that your first paid job um it actually wasn't my first paid job although it was like the first full-time job i had i my first job was taking pictures of kids with the easter bunny at a mall like so i ran like the easter bunny stand yes yeah and then i and i returned back (laughs) for christmas and so i i had both of those jobs before my hot topic job and was that in high school yeah that was i think i i got the job at hot topic literally like the moment i turned 16 and then those other jobs i did when i was 15 which actually seems like super illegal now. Yeah, that was Maybe. that is pretty young. Like I wouldn't so trust a fifteen-year-old doing like literally anything. Like not even like <laughs> washing a car. So taking yeah. pictures of children with the Easter Bunny sounds like a semi-artistic job. Would you say that was your first creative gig? Or yeah, that's... can you give us a little background? Yeah, origins. Well, I mean, yeah, that's really where I got my start, and you know developed my my love for the uh, printed image but no actually I didn't I don't know it's hard to say like I did arts program like classes and stuff in high school but I was actually more interested in um, studying computer programming both of my parents are programmers so I was always really interested in it in it I had computers from like a very early age that my dad taught me how to use so I I was interested in that and I but I don't think I fully understood what it, it meant to do that and I still probably don't to this day I was pursuing that with kind of like an interest in art and my parents always really encouraged the art thing so when I graduated high school I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do I didn't really know what the options were as an artist Um, and I attended a community college where I did I started as a designer and you know wasn't really feeling it not because of the program but just because of the level of engagement with the other people in the class and I I don't like the idea of being like a big fish in a small pond I was like I want to learn and like be surrounded by people who care and aren't just like throwing something together 30 seconds before they roll into like a community college classroom so after my first year, I started looking at schools. Originally, UArts in Philadelphia was what I had in mind. Um, I, re- I learned about illustration as a uh, like an educational path and a career. And based on the work I had been doing my first year of college, which was design, but like very highly illustrated, I kind of decided to pursue that. And I did so at MICA in Baltimore with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have a, an excellent illustration program. And it's like super, super inspiring and filled with very talented people. So I wanted to, you know, kind of have that competition to like drive my education and progression. Yeah, that's such a good environment because you can see how your peers are succeeding and it challenges you to work harder and to push yourself. And I don't know, I know Burmy, I'm always like, yeah, I just want to kick their asses. I just want to be better than them. Yeah. And I'm like very like, this is something I've learned more in my adult life is I'm, I'm like so approval based with everything I do. Like I want the gold star. Nothing makes me happier than at the end of the day, my my boss is like, you've done a good job today. And I'm like, I have. 
Like, thank you for that validation. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. Like, I, I mean, we could d- delve into like the psychological reasons. I, I you know, I like earning my uh, gold star, and I feel like it was nice to be like, oh man, what are they doing? I have to be better than than them, and uh, it forces you to like push it further than you would if you were the best. So. Was that transition uh, easy for you then into art college? Did you feel like you'd really found your niche when you got there? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I felt like for the first time, uh, I think in my entire life, I was surrounded by like, like-minded like people who were interested in working hard and working towards something common. And uh, I don't know, I was like really excited about the work that I was doing or could be doing. And I don't know, we had some like really encouraging professors that, you know, a little bit of faith goes a long way when you're just starting out learning something new. Yeah. I guess what other or what kind of creative jobs have you had uh, either during or after both school? Well, during school, nothing, nothing too crazy. When I had originally started illustration, I was really interested in like narrative and children's book illustration. And like kind of the highest goal I could aspire to was like creating something for Nickelodeon magazine. And I remember um, my senior year when we started to talk about like our thesis um, was right about (laughs) the time that Nickelodeon magazine went out of business and closed their doors. And I was like, oh my god what is it that I want to do now which it's weird to like base an entire career direction like on one possible freelance job but um I don't know that kind of like shook up my way of thinking about what it was I wanted to do and this was like right around the time that like design sponge was getting popular and blogs like print and pattern uh were becoming more tastemakers for like illustrators so I really refocused my interest to more like consumer products, developing patterns and merchandising um, illustrations and um, like coordinating patterns with more illustrative patterns. And weirdly enough, uh, my first, the first half of my uh, thesis was um, designing uh, patterns for baby clothing, like very similar to Target Circo brand. And I ended up working for Target Circo brand later in life, uh, which is like kind of ironic. Yeah. Did you have that in mind or that just kind of happened? Um, I definitely, in school, I was 100% always interested in pursuing an in-house creative position as opposed to like mm-hmm. working freelance. Although we don't always get what we want when we leave school. I was actually, you know, lucky enough to have my work picked up by blogs. And I was at that time kind of self-running an Etsy shop. And this is again, like kind of on the front end, you know, maybe a year or two into like Etsy even being a thing. So it was a little bit, I feel like a little bit different than it is now. Um, in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, how much impact you could make with having that. Mm-hmm. So at the time that I graduated, I was contacting blogs, I was soliciting um, companies that designed, you know, illustrative patterns uh, for positions, either freelance or in house. Um, and I was also selling my work personally uh, through Etsy. And I, I think through a combination of all of that, I started getting my first freelance jobs for um, I think one of my very, very first ones was a spot illustration set for like Canadian Family Magazine. Um, oh, I guess another thing I was I was applying for and this is like another weird coincidence in my life but um during my final couple months at Micah I was also applying for the Chronicle Books Children's Fellowship and I made it through to the final rounds but didn't end up getting chosen because I wasn't a designer and I didn't have a design portfolio although the woman the art director that I was talking to an interview with like really liked my work and I think she was like her support meant a lot at that time um and she ultimately gave me some of my first like bigger freelance jobs I ended up illustrating five novelty books with her over the next two years which allowed me um the freedom to pursue a freelance career as opposed to like getting a job doing something else like I think I found out that I got the position 
competition while I was on vacation with my parents. And I had been like interviewing with anthropology for like a retail position. And when I got the job from Chronicle Books, even though looking back now, I could have done both very easily. But at the time, I was like, well, I have this book project, I can never have time to, you know, work retail. Um, So I I turned it down and just kind of like dove headfirst into that. Yeah. And I remember when I guess it was probably when I was even working for Sean, but I remember, I think we took some product shots for you for your Etsy when you were, um, it was under small talk, right? Yeah, I took a class in school. And they were like, think of a brand name. And it always felt weird to be like, Alyssa Nassner is not the most exciting brand name. So yeah, I I marketed my work under the the name Small Talk Studio for a very long time up until probably like 2012 or 2013, which now seems far away. But like I graduated in 2010. So that kind of existed for three or four years for me. Yeah. Did you always try to keep a personal brand going simultaneously while also working with other projects? Or you were just kind of whenever you had time to do personal work, you fit it in between? Yeah. Um. I mean, per- my personal work, and this is something like I'm super passionate about, but my personal work kind of was the biggest tool for self-promotion. The type of Mm -hmm. work I did and sold on my Etsy that I created for myself that were that was an expression of like, I don't know if it was an expression of like my interest as much as a creative process. It was me experimenting with different palettes and uh, mark making tools and just kind of packaging that into something that I thought there was a need for in the market. Those personal projects are the things that led to my first freelance jobs. So it's weird because every time I made something personal, I would get hired to do things similar. And then because that need had been fulfilled through my freelance work, I would pursue something new from a personal perspective. So my style would shift or the subject matter would shift. And then like, within a couple months, you start to see that people are hiring you for that work. Um, And this is something that's kind of been consistent through my entire freelance career up until this point is there has been a gradual shift that's happened over the years. But I think my freelance always kind of trails it, you know, eight to 10 months past the the new personal work I'm doing, because people are starting to become familiar with it. Um, So I guess I don't know if that answers your question. But Mm -hmm. it's I think if I had to do it again, or if I were to start fresh now, there would be a much more visible separation between a, a brand and and my personal work, like if I were to do it now, I would treat it as a capsule project and, you know, create something in this world that would always stay in that world. But at the time, I think it just, I don't know, having the shop and having that name gave me a little bit of like a safety net to like do something and try it out and let it be a failure and take it back. And it just wasn't like Alyssa Nasner. It was something else that like could it could be anything. Yeah. And I've noticed that you always you always seem to have multiple projects going simultaneously in addition to your nine to five day job. Do you have a hard time balancing between all of that? Or you just love being busy all the time? Um, I mean, it's definitely a challenge. And again, it's something I'm more aware of now than maybe I was for past projects, because I, I definitely now if I take on something outside of the realm of my freelance or my day job, it has to be something that I can 100% commit to and and know that if there is is follow up or if there is a continuation of it, it's something that I can give my all to. So I have been focusing on a lot more like one off things. For example, I organized an art sale that was for charity called uh, Art Mart for Art Start um, in the beginning of February, where I had a bunch of artists donate artwork 
and it was all sold for $40. It was all original artwork. And people could come in the day of with cash only, take the artwork home. And the next day I went to the bank with all the money. So it was like a lot of planning leading up to it, but it was a one-off thing. It wasn't starting a new business. It wasn't something that I had to like nurture and maintain. And, you know, I I will probably plan another one, but it's going to be like as it is appropriate to my schedule, as opposed to mm-hmm. when I was working at Target, I started a stationary company with a coworker there. And it worked really well when we both worked at Target and lived in the same state. But as we both moved and our jobs changed and our lives changed, like she got married and I was dating and, you know, it became really hard to maintain the full-time job, the full-time freelance and this full-time other thing. So, and it really like our partnership fell apart in a kind of way that I'm not happy with in a way that like I wouldn't want to like re-experience so it's something I'm like super conscious about now as I take on new projects or I like take on new partnerships yeah so what would you say is like your biggest inspiration with your work personally or I guess in general what you like to kind of draw from when you're creating new pieces it's it's kind of hard and it's a struggle um I was just having this conversation with another illustrator last night I felt like it was a lot easier being in Minneapolis and pursuing my personal work than it is here and it's like not for a bad reason but here I'm surrounded by like so many artists that I'm constantly inspired by you take in so much you start to feel like you don't have something original to offer And it tends to like stunt your like thinking or creative process to the point where you're overthinking it and be like, well, this person does this and that person does this and they do it this way, but I do it this way. But this other person is making something kind of similar still. Um, So it's been it's been a slow process for me to like rediscover what I'm excited about here and and. I think a lot of it comes down to now when I'm creating personal work, it's to build a portfolio for new projects. So like I've been doing a lot of character illustrations recently because I'm interested in getting more work uh, doing children's book illustrations. And I'm also doing more typographic work because I'm interested in exploring jobs with advertising agencies for products or book covers. So I think I let the market and like kind of my interest in terms of like what type of work I want to be doing, getting hired to do, I let that be a huge driving factor in my personal work, which I mean, I don't know if that takes away from or or helps it, but it's something that keeps me making things. Yeah, I know I've always admired your just your hand lettering in general because it's always really beautiful and unique and it it adds so much to whatever other elements you have in the piece and it never sticks out or takes away from it thank you I I appreciate it and that's like I mean I think that's a huge part of my day job too is is being able to kind of create a final package inspired by someone else's artwork like if I if I were to hire you for a job and you're not doing the lettering like I need to be able to make something that is seamlessly integrated with like your work that doesn't take away from it so it's something that I've always been I think kind of like I don't consider myself like a designer or a typographer but I feel like if type and image are playing together they need to do so in a way that's complementary. So can you talk a little bit about um, the kinds of projects that you're working on currently or just what your day-to-day is like in your your day job? Sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, I work on kind of two different types of projects and they happen to overlap quite a bit. Um, so I will work on board books for kids, which are really highly illustrated, very, you know, very short on narrative. So it'd be a couple words per page. So, and then I also work on, um, YA novels, And that's the creative part is more hiring and art directing the cover as opposed to like the interior is more of like a utility job, in my opinion. I mean, we want to make something beautiful and complimentary, but in terms of like the most exciting creative thing, that's like not it. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. So are you doing more creative di- or art direction at your job or more of, um, it sounds like you're also doing a little bit of illustration work yourself or maybe filling in the gaps where it's needed. Yeah. I would say it's like 90% art direction. Um, yeah, there's, there's very few times where I'm actually creating content for the projects I'm working on. And if I do, it is, it's filling in the gaps. It's adding lettering or doing the typography or for some reason if the illustrator's not willing to do it or I can't take it from their work creating like chapter heads or folios or something that complements their style but the best days for me at work are when my artists are bringing something to the table that only they can bring. So how has that been for you being on the other end of it Um, whereas in your freelance work and the small businesses that you've started up you're the illustrator you're essentially the creative whereas you're day job now it sounds like you're you know on the other end where you're the one hiring out or seeking illustrators for projects that would be a good fit um so I'm kind of just interested in the relationship between those two roles Mm -hmm. and like any insights or things that you've learned from being on that side of it and working with a lot of different artists yeah yeah um I actually I really love it and I think if I had to choose one thing to do I'd probably do art direction I it's a lot of project management and that's kind of my personality anyway but um I don't know I always I have always felt like I could be more creative when it's not at the limitation of my own hand so when I get a book from an editor I'm given their thoughts for the vision of the book I'm given our sales feedback in terms of like what our big accounts look for or don't want this season so like we we might get like yellow's not in and um we're not buying any more photographic covers so you know, I'm given these guardrails from all of the people on my team that know best about like what their portion is. So editor will be like, here's three titles that are similar. And then here's the vision and the tone and the age range and like kind of the vibe. Our sales will be like, yeah, but um, it's actually going to sit next to these three books on the shelf in BNN. So that's something we need to keep in mind. And then, I mean, obviously I bring to the table like, okay, so this is what's trending in terms of palette or hand lettering is popular this season versus maybe a stark typeset option or whatever. So it's like, I take all of these like limitations and put them in a big pile. And I'm like, okay, how can we make something that is still creative, beautiful, and well-designed while also keeping these like business mentalities in mind because at the end of the day we're creating a product yeah and it sounds like it, your role also relies uh, really heavily on just being aware of what other artists are doing um the what il- illustrators are you know out there working currently and, and just maintaining that network personally of and that's a, yeah. a huge reason I think that I'm valuable in my role uh, as an illustrator as opposed to like someone that has kind of come up in the publishing industry as a freelance illustrator like I think I have a a little bit more of a network in terms of like people who I can reach out to for projects or the fact that I can even speak the same language as an illustrator uh, and like kind of have a more creative conversation I feel like is super beneficial at times. Do you find yourself reaching out to a lot of the same people to work on projects or just trying to find the right artist to fit the need or is it just all kind of circumstantial and changes depending on the project? Yeah, it's super, it's super circumstantial. And, you know, obviously when I can control it, like I'm reaching out to people that I'm like personally super inspired by or like friends that I feel like would like kill a project because I know we're going to work together well. Um, but there are yeah. obviously times and I feel like I've had a few of them recently where I'm designing a book that's like, like a super sci-fi fantasy and 
that's kind of out of my network to hire. So that's when it's it's both fun and frustrating because I have to start to dig in places that I would never look and start to ask people for, for references. And, you know, you kind of start this breadcrumb trail of searching for new talent. But like once it starts, you've always got it in mind. Like I now, anytime I see anyone that's doing like hyper-realistic digital paintings of like super sexy women, like I'm like, okay, that could be useful in the future. And you start to like amass this library of artists. And I don't know, the first thing I do... Whenever I go to a bookstore and like see a jacket I like, is, is flip to the back and see who the designer is, who the artist is, and that's something that I like keep a running like resource list of. Do you have a lot of people that submit their work to you for use, or you're pretty much seeking them out on your own? Um, yeah, we definitely. Um, I get promotional mailers from artists all the time. Um, I feel like a lot of agents send out promotional mailers because I think. Uh, especially in the publishing world, literary agents and art agents kind of are the ones maintaining those relationships with editors and and art directors. But I also get a lot of cold emails and portfolios sent my way. So it's not overwhelming. Um, And I unfortunately, not a lot of them are specifically targeted. I think people would be do better to um, research what kind of projects who they're sending artwork to hire for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask, what are some frequent mistakes or just big mistakes that you see from people that submit their work where you're like, ooh, that like immediately makes you a deal breaker. Like you are off the list now because you did this thing. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like etiquette wise that I'd be like, oh my God, like you're banned. But it's also mm-hmm. like if I get a postcard that's like a super like watercolory, I don't know, children's book illustration, that's not what I hire for. That's not the type of projects I work on because the two imprints I work on have very definitive visual aesthetics and it's not neither of those are like inky line work watercolor paintings unfortunately unless you're doing like beautiful adult paintings of some sort like you know I'm not hiring kids illustrated picture books um so it's like a bummer when I get those it's like I'm not going to hold on to them even if it's really good work even if you're like the most talented children's book illustrator if it's not something that fits into my categories I don't know it doesn't benefit me and I mean I just have to assume that they're also targeting like my coworkers. I'm not like passing those along usually. Yeah. And is there, I guess on the opposite end, is there anything that someone has done that really made them stand out to you? For sure. Um, I think there, there, there have been a few people over the past year or so that, that have been in contact through the internet that have reached out and been like, hey, I like what you're working on. Or if I post something, they've kind of started a dialogue and then have followed up with sharing their work. I had an artist send me a couple of her like printed actual picture books that like her work is absolutely perfect for the type of work that I hired for. And, you know, I will 100% always have her in mind if the right project comes up. Um, I think another thing, especially for like the younger board books I work on, there aren't a lot of like authors creating manuscripts for that type of thing. So any artist that has ideas or concepts to pitch that are not just like art based, like if you can pitch concepts, concepts for an entire book and and send them to us even unagented like that's something that's super super worthwhile because if there's an artist that I really want to work on like work on a book with for my uh, younger imprint I'll reach out to them and be like write something like here are some categories like come up with ideas because I can't hire people normally unless there's like something to hire them for and the best way to have something to hire them for is for them to write it. So like, that's always my recommendation too, is like pitch personal projects. Yeah. That's so interesting. Do you, do you find that a lot of the um, illustrators that you work with are also writers in that way? Or are the people that are reaching out to you who, um, you know, you're taking a second look at, are they often including concepts along with just their own work? 
Um, some, I would say maybe like 30%, but they're probably more seasoned in working in the children's book market. The ones that do, okay. uh, do pitch ideas or come willing to like discuss. But I think it's really intimidating mm-hmm. as someone who's like trying to work on, like I'm personally trying to work on my own picture book, like manuscript now that I would like to illustrate and pitch. It's like really, really intimidating to write for the first time. But that being said, if you've got like a solid idea, especially for younger readers where it's more developmental, or if you have like a novelty book idea, those are things that like, I don't know, they, they're, they're not a dime a dozen like, like picture book manuscripts. So if you've got a clever idea and your artwork is going to support that, I feel like it's, it's worth pursuing. I've noticed just in, because I, I struggle a lot with trying to create work outside of the traditional style that I create work. But even just starting this podcast, it's already opened my mind so much to different styles of creating and and it's super intimidating to try to do something super new, like going from visual art to the written word, (laughs) it, it feels very different. But if you can find a way to use a completely different style of making work to kind of incorporate with what you're already doing, it can be so incredibly beneficial and really open the possibilities of what you're able to create well and it's like it re delves back into the thing that like maybe got you excited about your work in the first place because it's you know it's uncomfortable and it's pushing you out of like your comfort zone and like when you do figure it out and you will it's going to be like that much more rewarding yeah and there's so much talk nowadays too about uh artists just needing to become these these jacks of all trades where uh, you know it's almost it, it encouraged or maybe necessary to develop a diverse skill set um, not only creatively but also outside of that um, business wise so just as a way of of surviving, but also setting yourself apart Mm -hmm. um, from what other people are doing. Would you, I mean, would you agree with that? It sounds like just in your role, having artists reaching out to you who maybe are also writers or who are more holistically considering the projects that they're pitching are the ones that are more likely to be successful. Do you have any thoughts on that or even your own experience just, you know, as an illustrator and trying to diversify your own skill set? It sounds like you're constantly pushing yourself creatively just in experimenting um, with your personal work as a way of getting different types of freelance projects. I mean, I don't think there's one blanket answer, but I think if there's something that you know you want to achieve as a creative. I mean, I think you have to be willing to take on the roles that come along with that and not and not be passive and, and kind of wait for something to, to fall into your lap. I think that's that's my my main work philosophy is like if you want something, like identify what it is and and work towards it and not only work towards it for yourself, but like ask for it, ask for help. Um, yeah, I think it just it just depends. Like if you're pursuing a creative pursuit for your personal gain, then yeah, you maybe don't need to be writing and doing all this stuff. But if there's something like if you want to be a published children's book author illustrator, or illustrator, like maybe also yes, being the author is going to help propel your career in a way that just waiting for the right manuscript to come around for someone to hire you will. Um, Not that that can't be done, but you you know, tip the odds in your favor in that way. And that makes perfect sense because if you think of someone that is in perhaps a, like a theatrical role you're gonna want to choose somebody that can sing and dance and perform like you want to kind of bring someone to the table that can really fulfill multiple roles because it's going to make them more valuable to be a part of your project 
And I mean, it makes sense to try to apply that to art making as well. If, you know, whatever medium or format you want your work to be in, if you consider all the elements that go into it, like if I want to be published, I could, I should consider trying to write too, or at least understanding the process of writing to apply that to my visual work. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's, it's very specific to just talk about publishing, but like if there's a project you want to make also, and you're not a writer, figure out how to make it. Like something I'm super, super proud of that I just accomplished at work is um, I developed this novelty format that is like essentially a board book, but it's an accordion fold, like six panel with all flaps that lift, lift. So it's like when you fold it out, it's like a big, long train, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is like a great idea, in my opinion. And it's going to be really cool. But I I didn't want to be the person to illustrate it. Like, that's something that I could have, like, taken, packaged, illustrated, and pitched to other publishers. But, like, I knew it wasn't going to be the best product, like, product or project in my hand. So I pitched at work. We paired it with an illustrator. We wrote the manuscript. So, like... I don't know. It just depends on like how you want to express your creativity in the sense of my day job and wanting to create something that I had like burning inside of me. It was really just pulling all the different pieces together and like sending it out into the world. Like, yeah, I'm not going to profit or benefit from it in the same way. Had I done that personally as an illustrator, it depends on like what fulfills you as a creative too. And, and in, in this sense, in the sense of that project, it was just seeing it made like seeing it come to fruition like through another artist's hands. Yeah, I think that's a great example of not only self-starting a project within your day job, like thinking of ways that you can really expand creatively within whatever your role there is, but also of using that network that you've been building and um, finding more opportunities to collaborate than you even already have just through the nature of your job there. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe not everyone is like as keen to collaborate or it's not as easy or accessible. But I mean, that's also something that I think is super important to explore as a creative, because I think that A is a way to like continue to develop new skills and, you know, kind of push you outside of your boundaries as well. Yeah. And I guess kind of playing off of that, do you have and it could be that specifically, but do you have a project that you've worked on in your entire creative path thus far that you are most proud of, that you really are like, yes, I fucking did it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's been a lot of like very small victories. Um, I mean, I think getting my promotion to art director at my age in my role, based on my experience, the company was a big milestone for me because I am still pretty young. I'm only 28, and I've only been in the publishing industry for about two and a half years so yeah that that's been a that's been a big thing and something that I feel like in retrospect even if I never knew it it's something that I've been working towards my entire career but I don't know maybe you guys agree like as a creative you're always kind of pushing for the next thing like the next thrill so as soon as you accomplish something you're like okay like what's my next goal yeah it's always kind of trying to one-up the last great success it's like okay this is amazing now what? Like you want to kind of keep it a constant. Yeah, you got to beat that high. Upwards. Like it's 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 kind of yeah. an addiction in a weird but like more positive way. I would say like, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot more to be surprised, excited, fulfilled every single time you've accomplished something. Which I think is one of the reasons why I take on so much push for collaborative projects and exploring other creative outlets. And I think that's maybe you guys agree. 
the reason you would be pursuing something outside of like what you initially started doing out of school as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a constant flow of just kind of following the path that you're on while also trying to achieve certain goals. But I feel like a lot of it is like, I'm not totally sure what this looks like, but I'm down for the ride and whatever comes my way, I, I'll take it. Do you feel like you've got like a certain like number of goals ahead of you at this point? Or I don't know, that's, I don't know, you're both like, maybe like a year or two younger than me. So I think we're both a year younger. Okay, I don't know. It feels like a long distance, like, far away thing to me. But mm-hmm. tell me if you agree or not. But I got to yeah, the point. Absolutely. In my creative, like, creative journey where like, I felt like I accomplished some of my like, biggest, most wildest goals, like, when I graduated college, like they weren't that wild, really, in retrospect. But like, once I accomplished them, I was like, oh, shit, like, what, like, what could I throw into the mix that could like, I possibly, I don't know, I feel like I struggle with setting goals, but like aiming high enough that they're just enough out of reach that I'm actually pushing myself versus just being like, I want to get another job. I think I have, speaking for myself, I know I have like certain goals, but a lot of times they're like career goals, like my goal is to not have to have a day job and to be able to just make a living off of my creative work, whether that be as trying to do a podcast or as close call studio or, you know, whatever. But I definitely will have so many days where I'm like, I don't even know what I want to do right now. Like I, I'm going to keep making the same stuff that I know I can like sell online and that I can like restock for craft shows or for wholesale orders but a lot of times I definitely am like well you know I'll figure something out but I've I've actually noticed with both of you a lot um when I have conversations with either one of you I get so inspired to come up with new projects so I think I get these short-term goals but I'm always kind of open to a big term goal. I mean, realistically, I just want to be able to have a life where I can travel and do a lot of fun things and make work being creative. But that's such an open-ended kind of plan. It it can really come to fruition in so many different ways. Which is good, though. Uh, What about you, Nicole? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I would agree. And I think just as an artist, often, too, your artistic, your career and maybe your life goals too are also intertwined that for me starting to gain clarity on each of those things um, I, I guess it's something that I'm working on whereas my artistic goals have always been separate from my my work related goals um, because I've also worked you know other day jobs that I would say are separate from my my studio work or my own goals as an artist so I think sometimes I have a hard time trying to focus my ambitions on or or identify the things that are really important to me or that I really care about because um, that might mean actually scaling back uh, career-wise or work-wise in favor of trying to really push myself uh, you know artistically or move my work to the next level in some way. Um, So I think that's been kind of hard directionally for me to just figure out where to focus that time. So do you have any any projects or goals that you are working towards right now, Alyssa? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm, it changes from day to day because I'll get really like pumped and energetic 
energetic about like something and then be like, oh, but I have to like stay on track. But right now, personally, I'm working on building my portfolio so I can take on some more. I would love to do more book jacket illustration as a freelancer. Um, Having worked in the publishing industry and um, other designers that inspire me, it's really kind of lit the fire to want to do it on my own because I don't always have the opportunity to do that at my day job. And I also like working with art directors and don't want to art direct myself. Um, So (laughs) I've been, yeah, just trying to build stuff that feels more appropriate for that type of work. And in kind of, it goes hand in hand, but um, bulking up some of my uh, children's illustration work just to kind of do do some different freelance because I do a lot of greeting cards and a lot of gift and stationery and as much as I love working with those clients and doing that work, it again, it just it doesn't feel as exciting as it as it once did. So are you really proactively seeking out projects as well as just building up your portfolio and creating new work? Are you also actively promoting it or reaching out to people? Or do you find that through making your work and just sharing it online, um, you know, freelance projects will pop up or people will come to you? Um, I'm lucky enough at this point where I have a lot of reoccurring clients. So I don't do a ton of the ton of like promotion like I used to. Um, I might do like a mailer once a year. uh, But I make sure I maintain my Instagram account, my portfolio, keeping things consistent and only putting up, you know, especially on my portfolio website, like my best, most curated artwork. So Everything I make for Instagram doesn't necessarily, you know, go to the website, but I just make sure that I'm constantly making new things, sharing them. I think as I start to work on these new categories, that will mean um, a shift in self-promotion, though. So I will have to do a little bit more targeted emails, mailings, etc., to 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 reach the people that I want to see my work um, instead of relying on the same clients that I've worked for for the past seven years to like continuously keep me in mind. So, do you have any? I guess organizational or more administrative tools or methods that you use that you found really has improved your efficiency and your reach uh, as far as organizing your creative business? Um, I wish, you know what, if you guys have recommendations, actually, I'm, I'm open. <laughs> yeah, I am kind of bad at organizing things. Like, I don't even like keep track of my income in a way that like, is even usable. I would say the best tool that I have or the two tools that I use that I have that I would recommend to everyone, which has nothing to do with like expanding your reach, but like I work off of Dropbox. So I have all my work everywhere I go, no matter what. And I keep that, I keep that organized. Like that is like an efficiency tool that like I could not live without in this day and age. And then I run all of my invoices, client information, everything through um, this website called in, in it's either invoicely or invoiceable. Like it used to be one and then it switched to the other, but like in terms of managing like client lists or like promoting, I kind of kind of wing it every time because by the, every time I promote, like the information I used to have is out of date anyway. So I'm kind of starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, but I will say there's a really good app called, I believe it's called later that you can like schedule Instagram posts and like manage oh yeah yeah like I, mm. I love that and um it's something that as I can make a little bit more work ahead of time like I think it's a really good tool to utilize for mm-hmm. social media um just because like there are things you want to share and you want to have it queued up for like optimum times for sharing it instead of like three o'clock in the morning when you finish 
like a piece yeah. or something. So that one's good. And it's free because I think you get like 30 posts a month for free or something like that. So yeah, that makes sense because there are so many times where I will finish a piece at like, yeah, like two or three in the morning and I'm like, it is not... Like, I want to photograph this in daylight. I want to have it ready to go. But I also am, like, so excited about it. I want to share it now. I'm very (laughs) impatient, yeah. But, I mean, you guys both manage, like, really successful Instagram feeds. And it's like, do you start to think more of the feed as a whole now versus just, like, putting an image up when you want to do it? Because I think that's something I've finally, like, come around to doing. And I'm like, Frack, I have like six white background things and I like I really need to like fix that before I like post more and it like it really becomes I make work just to fill in like holes in my Instagram now which is like maybe <laughs> maybe it's like too insane yes. no I think that's fine I know for me I mean I just have a folder like I have an iPhone I have a folder in my like photos an iPhone what is that uh, yeah, I just have a folder that I use specifically for close call studio that because I am not finishing pieces every single day, I tend to like, you know, cut out all the patterns for like 50 pieces a day. And then the next day I'm, or you know, the next week or two, I'm sewing them together. And then one day I finish all the pieces and they're all ready to go. But I'm obviously not going to like, photograph and list them all simultaneously I mean I'll photograph them all together but I'm not gonna like post them yeah, all yeah you're online. not gonna like, like ah enjoy your next fill your feed pieces <laughs> I don't know maybe you should try that as like a social experiment <laughs> <laughs> and I lose every follower like, everyone's too gone. many plush plants <laughs> ah too much too much felt I gotta back out I'm this girl's done <laughs> and it kills my business <laughs> oh okay maybe no, I just I photograph everything usually in the same day and then I just edit all the photos, have them all ready to go and then I just put them in a separate folder on Photos app and then I can kind of see them as individual tiles the way I would see them on the Instagram feed so I can see like, oh, these photos are like, some of these are really yellow for some reason or they don't really fit or I need to break these up in some way but I still am learning. I mean, I, every time I encounter someone's page that is like absolutely perfect, and I just want to scroll all the way to the end, because everything I see is, you know, totally enticing. I still am like, how do you do it? I see what you're doing. And I understand what I'm drawn to, but I still have no idea how to translate that to my own work and my own feed. Which by the way, and not I do not work for later. I do I have no affiliation with this app. But (laughs) One thing that I think is really cool about it is when you queue up your images, you can look at how it would look in the feed and like rotate them around based on like their relations to one another. So okay, I just wanted well, to throw that out. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just gonna download it now. Later, if you want to be a sponsor on the podcast, just let me, let us know. Well, I was gonna joke. <laughs> We're ready for you. <laughs> I was gonna joke. I ate like a bunch of Blue Apron before we started, and I was like. This, this, this podcast is definitely sponsored by Blue Apron in my stomach. Oh my god. I've, I've tried to do a few of those different uh, like meal prep services and there are very few of them that have vegan yeah. options that are like a ton of them. But also there are a few that are like solely vegan but are not in my area. So it's like... I don't even know. I also am just 
lazy and I'm like if I can just eat a piece of toast and be done with it I'm gonna do that because it requires very little effort yeah see that's why I switched to a meal service because I was eating just like pieces of toast for dinner wait so you guys are both using meal services right now no I don't she she can't her dietary restrictions are too too plentiful I'm actually curious because I feel like this is very related to, um, you know, productivity tips. I actually just ordered, we got a coupon for one called Freshly. So I'm testing it out next week. Um, I've never done that before, but part of it is because it it takes so long to like get groceries and make dinner. And I feel just as an artist, so I'm curious, Elizabeth, what your thoughts are as someone who works a day job and also, you know, runs a really active freelance career in addition to that how do you even make time for those daily tasks like Um, cleaning or doing laundry do you just never have clean clothes and your house is always a mess are you using these services that make it easier or how do you live your life um it's really I've okay this is something I've been really really focused on trying to make better because every single day I'll like pick up my house before bed and then the next morning it'll look like the Tasmanian devil like came through it and it just I I cannot maintain any sort of level of like normal life in my home um like as I'm talking to you now I've got like a giant pile of dishes in my sink and like I still have my meal out and plates everywhere but I really really like services like Blue Apron and you know I will splurge and get a house cleaning person come sometimes just because it's like I don't always have time and in my search for balance like I'm prioritizing work obviously my social life is super important to me like I would never want to sacrifice the time with my like friends and people that I love and care about and then also my health like I want to go to the gym and I want to eat healthy and um so yeah Cleaning and laundry tends to to fall on the end of the spectrum of things that I prioritize. But um, I don't know. Blue Apron has been a a very good change in my life in terms of like, A, it forces me to cook food before it all goes rotten. And it's healthier than things that I would make on my own. And I don't have to go to the grocery store or think about it at all. Even if they sent me like the grossest thing ever, I would probably still cook it and eat it because it's better. (laughs) It's better than just like eating like a Pop-Tart for dinner. (laughs) True. I say that as like last night I just ate brownies. <laughs> I mean, every, just for dinner. <laughs> that's not a bad night. Like I had two soft pretzels for dinner last week at one point. So like, like no shame. Yes. Brownies are good at least. No. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're just cooking for yourself, you're like, I literally don't care about what I'm putting in my body at this point. Like it, it just has to like keep me alive. Yeah, yeah. This is simply just maintaining my little bit of energy until the next meal, which I swear I'll probably maybe make a better choice. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, you need a vegan blue apron. That's made my meals, like, far less depressing than they used to be. And they actually, like, (laughs) taste like three out of five stars most of the time or higher. Okay. I mean, I know there's... I know there's like purple carrot, I think, and my mom keeps sending me invites. I'm like, I don't <laughs> they don't do Baltimore, so I this isn't helpful. And like, I don't know why she's inviting me because she's in West Palm, and I don't think they do it there either. So I'm like, she's I don't researching them on your behalf. <laughs> oh, she's like Amanda. I hear on your podcast you're just eating toast and brownies for dinner. <laughs> I mean, it helps that I have Mike, who is like very conscious of being healthy and active, 
And granted, every single day as he's like going to the gym to work out for like two hours and come back looking fit as a fucking fiddle, I'm just sitting on the couch with my brownies. I'm like, goodbye. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, I wanted to ask if there was, if there is something about yourself that is really unexpected or a, a skill you happen to have that's basically useless, but you still got it. Mm. something like that I don't even know I literally have no other skills we've already established I can't cook clean um (laughs) you're focused on the important stuff (laughs) (laughs) um no I feel like I have like literally like if there were a talent show and someone held a gun to my head I would die because I have no other skills you can just make really cute artwork and nothing else yeah i was on i'm i'm a mediocre bowler i'm proud of that i was on bowling league in college which or in uh, high school not in college i was gonna say we had a bowling league (laughs) how did i not know i mean i wouldn't have made the cut but still uh no i got nothing i'm like like I have to be working because that's really probably the most interesting thing about me. <laughs> I feel like it's a really hard question to answer um, when your work and your, you know, your hobby and your career are so tied together. When people ask if I have any hobbies, I don't know what to tell them. You're like, I just also work for fun. You're not alone. Yeah. Um, so would you have any advice that you would have given younger Alyssa, either just graduating from college, anything that you know now, um, or any insights you'd like to share with your younger self that may have helped you along in your career thus far? For sure. And I guess this is probably most relevant in the illustration world, or if you're doing like client work, but read your contracts, know what you're worth. And um, like, honestly, they told me this all the time. And I still do it to this day. They told me in college not to work for hire. And I still do it to this day instead of negotiating things. But that has come back to bite me in the ass like so many times because people end up owning my artwork and doing things with it and making a lot of money. And then you're like, I only got paid $300 for that entire children's book. Um, So yeah, learn to read contracts and understand kind of like the business terms associated with them and um, know what you're worth. And if something doesn't feel right or you feel like you're being underpaid, ask for more money because the worst they can tell you is it's not in the budget. Yeah. That's something I tell people to this day is like, especially, especially being an art director. And I shouldn't say this because like, I don't always have a ton of money to give people if they ask for more money, but I will always, will always, always, always check to see if we have wiggle room. If someone asks, and a lot of times I know, I mean, I'm going to get like killed for saying this. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but like, there's always more budget. Like, so, you know. Yes, thank you. (laughs) And are there any resources either that you use as an illustrator or otherwise for understanding terms of a contract or, you know, where do you go to start to understand the ins and outs of those things? Something I'm I'm kind of still learning. Um, There's a book called I think like artist handbook which I can see on my shelf but can't fully read the spine from here um but I'm like connected by headphones so I can I can tell you guys what it is but I think it's like ethical like pricing and ethical guidelines like artist handbook that has a lot of um boilerplate templates for contracts talks a lot about um industry standards for costs and rates and uh 
has a glossary of um, contract terms and definitions. And I do believe they have online resources for that as well. So it's put out by the Graphic Artists Guild, Artists Handbook for Pricing and Ethical Guidelines. And they, I think they publish a new edition every year or so. I have the 12th edition, which is probably quite dated at this point, honestly. It probably doesn't even have like social media or anything like web related in it. Yeah, I was going to say that I actually used that book a lot too, a, a probably really outdated version of it um, for mural painting and mm-hmm. you know, with contracts and invoices and all kinds of things. Do you have any other resources that you would recommend to other young artists that are just kind of getting their foot foot in the water? Yeah, there's a couple, a couple things that I, as an art director, look at to hire artists and then also use as an illustrator. But um I think working, not working is a good community. It's, I think, I believe it's still invite only, but it's something worth exploring because um, art directors can search for you based on your, you know, fields of expertise versus, and your like geographic location. So that's really nice. Actually, I'm not a Behance user, but depending on the type of work you do, I actually end up finding a lot of artists that I hire on Behance as well. People who I are outside of my network on Instagram. We talked about Instagram a lot. I think that is the number one best marketing tool you could have as an artist right now. Another thing that I really love and that I've gotten to use a lot more over the past year or so is is Skillshare, which is like a really another great community, um, especially as we talk about like, quote unquote, being a jack of all trades. It It's a good jumping off point for taking on a new skill or like learning new skills. And it also offers you a community of people that are there to support you and help you like along your learning process, which I think is super, super valuable. Is there anything that you wanted to say or share that we didn't cover thus far? No, I mean, I guess like my whole thing is like make work for yourself that you care about making, whether it's a subject matter or like an expression of something like artistic within you or it's something that's fired by the type of work that you want to be hired to do. I feel like every artist in some way, shape or form should have a personal practice. And I think that is the number one best tool you could use as self-promotion to get work as like a commercial artist. And um, I think people really, they can tell the difference when you're making something you're passionate about and care about versus when you're just like, you know, sharing commercial like client work. All of my success in life, everything I've done has kind of stemmed from work that I would have been doing whether or not someone was paying me to do it. Well, I think that's great advice. Uh, Nicole, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I think that covers it. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for sharing all of your advice and insights with us. No, thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited for your podcast and to to hear, I don't know, all the conversations you guys are going to be having in the future. It's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for being willing to be the first guest and yeah, you'll be my audio (laughs) track and it's just like saxophone noises. (laughs) (laughs) And it's you talking about brownies. Part of it. Yeah, just me talking about brownies. I mean, our blue and begging Blue Apron to sponsor us. Blue Apron, yeah, this could have been an entire podcast devoted to cooking food out of boxes. Yeah, thank you so much, Alyssa. You're incredibly gracious and um, had really, really valuable things to share. So it's much appreciated. Cool. Thank you. It was nice seeing your your smiling faces. Thanks, Alyssa. You You too. too. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to check out Alyssa's work over at alyssanasner.com. And her work is also available on Instagram, just her first and last name. And I promise you will be pleased with what you find there. 
That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. If you're listening to this episode via iTunes, we'd love to ask you to give us a rating and a review because it really makes a big difference. The more reviews we get, the more people we can connect with. And the more we connect, the better we get. And we're trying to get real good here. We'd love to hear from you. Like <laughs> Huggies. <laughs> diapers. That's all I have to say about them. <laughs> For when your podcast is so long, you can't leave.